Thanks for taking the time to listen to this NHS Employers podcast. For all the latest NHS HR workforce information, visit www.nhsemployers.org. Hello, my name's Ruth Warden and I'm the Assistant Director within the Development and Employment Team at NHS Employers. In this podcast, we'll be focusing on how trusts can reduce agency spend. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Amanda Dunkley, the Attraction and Agency Lead, and Christine Brayton, who is the HR and OD Director, both from North Cumbria University Hospitals NHS Trust. Between them, they've led on the How Five People Saved Five Million project. It's an initiative which saw a change in organisational behaviours by establishing a central commercially focused agency team that have been able to control the level of demands and costs of agencies. So, Christine, starting with you, the first question. Can you tell us a little bit about your trust, where it does well and what challenges it faces? Yes, certainly. Well, we're a small to medium-sized trust. Uh, We're based up in Carlisle and Whitehaven. You know, it's a struggling geographical area and so this has put some pressure on us to recruit and retain staff. I think the trust had an over-reliance on agency workers and the spend was really spiralling out of control. We had a vacancy rate of over 31%. So, and, and I really don't think we had any internal control over our agency spend. The introduction of the agency cap in November 2015 and my arrival at the Trust, I think, really uh, forced us to take a hard look at our agency spend and reliance. Um, And I think there was somewhat a feeling of despair in the Trust that our reliance of agency workers uh, was, you know, beginning to become out of control. And we had one or two um, agency workers, I think, that was holding the Trust to ransom. So I understand that one of the first things you did was to establish an in-house agency team. What did that involve? I think uh, what I wanted to do was to try and get some central control because we had our business managers working with our then master vendor, working with them on an individual basis. I don't think we had any central control so we could understand really what our spend was. So I think one of the first things that we had to do was to get some central control over our contractual arrangements. Amanda? Yeah, I think with a master vendor, Um, responsibility is diffused out to business managers and lead clinicians who book the locum and it goes directly to the agency. And then immediately you've got an imbalance of power and all the power is in the agency's hands. So the sort of typical problems that we were experiencing, and I know from talking to a number of other trusts, this wasn't just us, is that vacancies would be sort of left hanging right till the last minute. And as you know, the, the sort of you know period got closer and closer where that locum was required in post, the managers got more panicky. And also what then happens, if you're not careful, is the price goes sky high because you've got to pay this amount, otherwise you just won't have someone in post. And also the compliance becomes an issue. So, well, yes, you can have this person, but actually you're missing a reference or you're missing this. And then you have to take the risk as a trust whether you're going to accept that or have to close clinics or close departments. So we set up the team, it's a very small team, and we deliberately called it an agency team because what we wanted was to take that control back on rates and timeframes and really almost kind of turn agency tactics against the agencies themselves. So managers have been taken out of that part of process and if agencies bypass our processes, they'll have a few warnings. So Christine, how did your managers respond to this 
this change of mindset and change of working. I think it was a huge relief to them because actually the firefighting every day, trying to provide those clinical um, services, and actually I think somebody coming along and saying we'll do that for you, I think it was a you know as I say that huge relief. So making it central was no criticism of our business managers. I mean they do a tremendous job every day. I think it was just somebody saying let us take that from you, let us take that pressure from you, let us do that work for you so that you can focus on. Uh, clinical duties I, I think was a, a welcome introduction. So you turned round the concept of how NHS organisations relate to agencies. How did you bring those skills into the team? Well I brought Amanda in firstly to um, look at two main things. That was about just doing the centralisation of the reliance and spend on agency workers but also to look at more sustainable long-term recruitment and retention issues. And what I got when I got Amanda was some commercial focus on this. And then that in turn, creating the internal team, Amanda then started to recruit more people uh, with those commercial skills. So this is no disrespect to our current employees within HR or agency teams, but actually it was bringing people in with that specific skill set. And I think that's made all the difference in that central team. So tell me a little bit about that, that negotiation cycle, which is, which is quite crucial to getting the right, the right rates for your trust. Yeah. So I think when we talk about negotiation, we start from the premise, like really the baseline is, you know, we are the NHS. We're the fifth biggest employer in the world. And, you know, my view on this is actually we need to use that bargaining power you know, much more in the same way that Walmart does to get the best deals around the world and McDonald's does to get the best deals around the world. And I don't think the NHS probably does that as well as it could. We have 41 suppliers and they have specific time frames once the vacancies are released that they have to um, provide us with CVs or submissions. And if they don't provide within that time, time frame, it goes out to tier two. Now, just to kind of put this into context how this kind of negotiation and competition works a little bit. When we exited the master vendor, 88% of the doctors on site, the locum doctors on site, were through the original master vendor. Now, for me, there's huge risks involved with that from a patient safety perspective. What if that company was to go bust or to go belly up? What happens then when, you know, all those doctors are through one agency? Now, a year later, that agency footprint is 29%. So were we to lose those doctors, we can cover that risk very, very quickly, which means patient safety is covered. So what we're finding now is actually the tier twos are really performing well. We've instigated performance tables for all of our tier one agencies so they can see where they are against tier twos in a number of areas. So we do this on compliance as well as price, um, commission, speed of submission, et cetera, et cetera. And this is the thing with speed of submission. This makes life easier for our managers. If they know they've got a doctor booked, compliant, et cetera, et cetera, they can get on and do their jobs far, far easier. So thinking very specifically about that compliance, um, particularly around timesheets, timesheet fraud isn't uncommon. How, how do you particularly avoid that? If you've got the kind of spend that we had and you've handed over basically all of your controls to a third party 
I think you can pretty much kiss goodbye to any sort of notion that somebody else is going to be doing that safeguarding for you. And I think trusts really do have to take that responsibility on board themselves. HR, operations and finance are now working much more closely together. So we're having regular meetings and actually what Christine has instigated, um, you know, um, in sort of conjunction with the chief executive is a risk assessment every two weeks now against every locum in post. So this is sort of, you know, the medical director, the nursing director, the finance director, the project management office, and, you know, myself and Christine from HR, very much looking at every single locum. Why is the spend high? What's going on here? So the next thing that we're in the process of just pulling together is a pilot that we'll trial in a, in a sort of specific department whereby locums have to swipe in and swipe out. So if they're swiped in at eight o'clock, but their clinic isn't till 10, well, what are they doing in those two hours? Is, is there a specific reason for them being there? And we're now in a position, because of the sort of first year and the work that we've done, that we can really get into the detail. Last week, there was a challenge, five timesheets came in, where breaks for consultants on call hadn't been taken. And there was a challenge, this time internally, with managers. Why haven't breaks been taken? Are you trying to suggest that in a 48 hour period, these were consultants, you know, resident, so not, you know, off-site resident. Are you trying to suggest that for 48 hours, these doctors didn't take a break? And, you know, you have managers then sort of saying, because obviously it's easier for them not to challenge the locum. And, um, you know, the, the person in my team said, look, this collected amongst, you know, the few of you, these managers, this is 1,200 pounds. It might just be, 20 minutes a shift for each of you. This is 1,200 pounds just in a week that the trust has lost. Do you want me to scale this up for you? And so this is sort of, it's, it's re-education internally and it's getting managers to really check the detail. So Christine, when you talked about the start of this journey, you were in special measures, there were quality issues. What impact has this had on quality within your organisation? What we wanted to do was to reduce reliance and spend on agency workers and to improve our recruitment and retention so that we could provide more sustainable and better quality services to our patients. And I think what this journey has allowed us to do is having that central control now means that we have more scrutiny, as Amanda's alluded to, over our agency workers. We started off with a vacancy rate of 31% for our medical staffing. We now reduced that to 22%. Now, I know that's still high. We accept that and we still have those geographical challenges within the trust but it does mean more scrutiny over our agency workers on hours and you know we can ensure then that they're providing that quality service to our patients on the wards you know we don't want agency workers work working 75 hours a week we want to have some control and i'm confident that we're now providing services and that scrutiny that allows us to scrutinize our agency workers just as we would do with permanent members of staff and thus far i think that has a better quality of service on our patients so if, if you could give one piece of advice to somebody listening to this podcast who wanted to start and do something similar to yourself, um, Christine, what advice would you give somebody? Well, for me, I would make this a trust issue. You know, get this on your board agenda. This is really important, not, ju not just because of the spend, but because of the quality issues as well. And I think we've really raised the profile at our board to have some overall ownership of this challenge. And, you know, I know Amanda might might say this as well, but for me, don't be held to a ransom 
by the agencies, you know, challenge and be clear about your performance management frameworks and really have some control over your spend and your reliance. Amanda, what one piece of advice would you give? Absolute key thing is transparency of rates and commissions and negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. And the sort of final thing I would add is this has been really, really linked to, to substantive recruitment. When you have a master vendor, it becomes very, very easy for managers to just pick up the phone and book a locum and sort of think about the problem in the short term instead of you know, the medium term and the long term. But obviously departments need to demonstrate that they've tried NHS jobs, they've tried the free market. This is taxpayers' money. We need to be seen to be doing that and they need to test the market. If they can't do that, and some specialties are very, very difficult to recruit to, as we all know, then there are other avenues that we can go down. And we will do that. And you know, we're attending loads of jobs fairs. We're, we are going out there and telling people that there are great opportunities in Cumbria, come and join us. Um, last year at the BMJ Fair in Islington, we recruited a fantastic consultant cardiologist. If we hadn't have been at that fair and we hadn't have met him, I have no doubt he would have gone somewhere else and we would have lost him. And just on that one appointment, we have saved 80 to 100,000 pounds on equivalent locum fees. And probably more importantly, the patient feedback on that doctor is incredible. He's in Cumbria saving lives for us rather than saving lives somewhere else in the country. So for us, this really has been saving money and saving lives simultaneously. Well, that's been an absolutely fantastic story. Thank you both for joining us today. And I'm sure um, people will find what you've told us really, really interesting. Thanks, Thanks. very much, Christine Thank and Amanda. Thank you.